I think it's pretty clear that the Lord is calling us to kind of do this ourselves because I would spend two hours or three, depending on what they were working on, reteaching them after they got home. I just felt like, no, I don't want you to be a speed reader. I want you to read to comprehend. What's the point of reading something if you just read it quickly and don't make mistakes when you read the words? But then when I ask you a question, if you don't know what you've read, then it's pointless. This podcast is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. Homeschooling is an exciting adventure we take with our children. One of the most challenging parts of this journey is choosing the curriculum you want to use. BJU Press Homeschool is a curriculum you can trust. All the books, resources, and videos have been designed with you and your child in mind. Their curriculum is educationally robust and rich, taking into account that children have different learning styles, strengths, and needs. Mom, you are in charge. BJU Press Homeschool is here to come alongside and support you. Do you need help with the teaching load or is there a subject you just don't want to teach? Their amazing video courses are available for all grades and almost every subject. BJU Press Homeschool believes that homeschooling can produce a new generation of students who know God, love their neighbors, and stand firm in their faith. For more information, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Zan Tyler podcast. I'm your host, Zan Tyler. This podcast is devoted to encouraging you in your homeschool journey through conversations with amazing homeschool leaders and advocates. I wanted to remind you to please subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That may be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Please leave a review and rating, especially on Apple Podcast. If this show has helped you on your homeschool journey, it really helps the podcast out and we sure do appreciate it. Also, we are now on YouTube, so if video is your style, please like and subscribe to the Zantyler Podcast on YouTube. And be sure to go to the website, zantyler.com. You can find all my social handles there for the show, like Facebook and Instagram. You can also send me a message. So now with all of that out of the way, let me introduce you to my guest. Today, I'm excited to welcome Miki Addison on the podcast. Miki is wife to Will and mother to their six children. She is the assistant director of the Marriage Family Life Conference hosted annually by American Family Association. Miki is a conference speaker, women's teacher, and author. She co-hosts Airing the Addisons, a national radio program heard weekdays on American Family Radio, live streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and via podcast. Of all the roles Miki feels, the most important are wife to Will and mother and chief educator of their six children. Welcome, Miki. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to have you with us. And this morning, I am welcoming a guest, Miki Addison. I had the pleasure of meeting Miki at the ARC Encounter, which was a homeschooling conference at the ARC in May of last year. And so I have been wanting to get to know her more ever since then. She is charming and delightful and has such a ministry. So, Miki, thank you for being here. Oh, Zan, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And let me just say before we get into just kind of visiting today, um, thank you for being a pioneer in the ministry that is homeschooling and really kind of opening so many doors for other families. I think that there are so many families, myself included, who were unaware of the battle and the fight, and you've been in the thick of it for a very long time. So I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord. Well, it has been my privilege and pleasure. Thank you. 
Hey, so tell me a little bit. First of all, you have a big family. So tell us a little bit about your family and homeschooling and how you and Will got into homeschooling. Sure. So my husband, who I call Will the Great, uh, because he's just a fantastic man of God, like he just loves the Lord so much. Um, we met as uh, missionaries. And when we were married, we didn't know how we would educate our kids. We just knew that we wanted to raise them in the faith, right? And so we didn't always have the conviction of homeschooling or anything like that. Um, but now, and let me just kind of jump to the end and then work my way back. So Will and I have been married for 18 years and we have six children, ages 16 down to two. And um, so we have a very, very busy and lively home. We have just a range of personalities and um, you know interests and things like that. But um, our homeschooling journey is one of conviction that our faith needed to be passed down to our kids. And when we started out, of course, I think every parent, whether they know it or not, <clears throat> starts out as a homeschooler. Like, that's right. The very big, don't you, you agree? Like, from the that. very beginning, we start out teaching our kids basic things. We start out teaching them how to speak and how to communicate. And so... I would say that I started as a homeschooler, but then kind of thought, you know, the natural progression of things is that then the kids go off to school. Will the Great and I both were educated in the public school system. He had some private schooling for a while. I just heard um, when you said Great and I. <laughs> well, that is the one minute. I think that's so great. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Do you were both in, in um, educated in public schools? Yes, yes. And so we just thought that our kids would go off to school and we thought, okay, possibly private school, the students. And so I had my kids saying to me, my daughter saying, well, Miss so-and-so said this. And I'm like, well, no, I don't, we don't know that three so well that they're going to be yes. ready to take their campus for Jesus. Um, as followers of five. Christ. Now, right. When they're right. five. <laughs> Please remind me to go back to the illustration that I use with parents who say what I once said, and I understand them. I get it, but I, I, and I'll just say it now. So I have this illustration that I use, and and when I say this to parents, they're just sort of like, "Oh my goodness, I would never do that." So I say, "So we think that our kids are going to be missionaries," and then my question is, "So what five-year-old do you take, put a couple Bibles in his backpack?" And then drop him down in China and say, go take China <laughs> for Jesus. By storm, right. Go, You know what I mean? Like, go yeah. and shake up China for Jesus. And and the parents are like, oh, my goodness, we'd never do that. And yet, that's what we're doing with our five-year-olds, if we're being generous, but sometimes four and three. We're sending them out and saying, now go and witness. They don't know. They don't even know what they believe. Um, they're still learning to speak, communicate. So, so, so we went through that whole thing and um, our two older daughters, we have two girls and then four boys. And so they both kind of um, were like our test cases. I don't know, as we were learning to discern the voice of God and, and learning to be obedient to his leading and obedient to scripture. Uh, so they both were in school, but it became very obvious to me that I'm working against myself. Like our faith is central to who we are. Like we are defined by being followers of Jesus Christ above and beyond anything else. And so what I learned, one, was with our daughters in talking with them, I realized that there were other influences that I was contending against. 
So the influence of the teachers and the influence of the students. And so I had my kids saying to me, my daughter saying, well, Miss so-and-so said this. And I'm like, well, no, I don't, we don't, no, that's not what we believe. We don't believe that, you know? And, and, and then there was the reteaching that happened. So they would come home and they both did like kindergarten and first grade. And I think the older one went to second grade. And it was at that point that we were just like, you know, I think it's pretty clear that the Lord is calling us to kind of do this ourselves because I would spend two hours or three, depending on what they were working on, reteaching them after they got home. Zan, I just felt like, no, I don't want you to be a speed reader. I want you to read to comprehend. What's the point of reading something if you just read it quickly and don't make mistakes when you read the words? But then when I ask you a question, if you don't know what you've read, then then you it's pointless. And so there were some some activities that I would kind of send back a note and say, we're not doing this. No, we don't. We're not going to read this passage, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I started to pray about it and I, I started to ask the Lord um, if he wanted me to educate them at home. And at this point, and so all our kids have ever known is that their mom and dad work in media, that we've worked in radio and media and written communication since they can remember. I started out doing radio when Mariah was five months old and I would bring her with me to the studio. Now, is she your oldest? She's my oldest. She's okay. my oldest. Okay. And so, <laughs> so we've been doing this for a while, but the calling of being a mom and stewarding this ministry of, of shaping them and passing down the faith to them is something that I don't have to pray about. I don't have to ask God, God, do you want me to do that? That is very clear from scripture. But I did have to pray and ask the Lord if I were to still do this ministry of equipping and encouraging the masses. That's that's what we do. And so I started to pray about that. And Zan, I prayed about that earnestly. We had a um, radio program. It's a nationally syndicated radio program. And it's live. It happens five days a week and it's live. And at that point that we were praying about homeschooling, I was working in the office. So I was going into the studio and I was doing that. But this is what I said to the Lord. I said, Lord, I am convinced that you have entrusted these children to me. And I feel like there is great opposition to the work that I'm supposed to do in their life. And I, I believed that I was supposed to bring them home and homeschool them. But there was a conflict because now here also is this external ministry that I believe the Lord had called me to. It wasn't anything that I sought out. And that's another story, but I believe the Lord called me to this work. And so I said to the Lord, if you've called me to the external work, then the internal work will not suffer. And so we prayed about that and we had a decision to make. Am I going to be able to do the external work at home? Am I going to be able to do what I do publicly at home? And this was before the pandemic, right? This was back in 2014. So this was before it was common for people to work from home right, and do all the things right. that they're doing from home. That's so it. we yeah. have a, you know what I mean? Yes. So I, I really kind of had like a Gideon's fleece moment. And I was asking the Lord to make it clear to me if this was what he still wanted us to do. And so, um, so my husband went in. And he talked to the president of our organization and said, here's the burden of our heart. We cannot lose our children in the ministry that we believe God has called us to and tried to equip other parents not to lose their children. 
we Absolutely. can't yes. lose our children in the process. Yes. And so the, the request mm-hmm. was, can Nikki do what she does from home so that we can homeschool our kids and provide the kind of environment that we believe God has called us to? And again, this is at the time where everyone's in the office. It's This is the way that things work. We have a huge, fully functional studio. So we would kind of be doubling up. We live where our headquarters are. And, um, and the president of our organization said, sure, yes. Like the work that she does is vital, but the work of your family is vital as well. And so that confirmed to me that the Lord was calling me to do what he called me to do at home but to also continue doing this public ministry that the Lord has entrusted to us. And it's not easy, Zan. I mean, with six kids, it is not easy. And I pray, I don't want to say daily, that may be an exaggeration, but at least weekly, Lord, are you still calling me to do this? Lord, is this still what you want me to do? Um, Because at the end of the day, our desire is to be obedient to the Lord, to do what the Lord has called us to do. So that's I don't know, that's probably a lot of information, but no, 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 that's great information. I can remember I started re- working remotely in the year 2000, if you can believe oh. it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, Fantastic. Worked, I have worked remotely for publishers and um, websites and, and now with BJU Press since 2000. And it yes. was, sometimes it was not so well received because I might be the only one of two or three in a company working remotely. And yeah. so, you know, so those were those were trailblazing years. And yes. and I do think it's really interesting that you were able, you know, you gave it to the Lord and he worked it out for you to do that before it became common. I mean, that's yes. just God's like you say, it's a fleece and it's just God's answer. So so tell me how you and Will decided you wanted a big family. Is it something that just happened or you were committed to that from the beginning? Because Joe and I always wanted six kids and uh, we we lost the baby when I was six months pregnant Damn. after our two boys were born and it was very high risk and I almost died. And so we were very thankful for Lizzie. But so so, so we have four kids, one in heaven and three with us, but we always Damn. wanted six. So oh, wow. I just I just think that is um, just such a blessing. So tell us about the blessing of having six kids. Zan, I really love this question, and we get, we get this question a lot, right? Because I think yes. there there are people who are like, okay, so did you guys plan that, or was it something like, as you say, that just happened? And um, so I'm going to just kind of give a little background here. I grew up the second of five children, and my father actually left my mom. So I was raised in a fatherless home. And my, but I was raised in a Christian home and I'm so grateful, you know, the Lord, he is sovereign. And so my mom introduced me to Jesus Christ and I am forever grateful for that, even though I grew up in a fatherless home and and I try not to say a single parent home because I think that almost glamorizes um, the home when it's really what it is, is it's a fatherless home. Yes, that's a really excellent point. Okay, keep going. Yeah, I'm filing that one away. Yeah, you know what I mean? It kind of yeah. it makes it something that's kind of in vogue now, you know, and, and what I try to do is make sure that we always remember that when we are talking about a single parent home, depending on the situation, we are talking about an absence or a real loss. And so I try to describe that as it actually was. It was a fatherless home. And so that brought with it a lot of, um, I think, negative 
thoughts about a big family. There okay. was a lot oh, of yeah. chaos. So I just want to say this, Miki, because this is so interesting. Um, one of our biggest supporter, supporters legislatively um, when we were in the homeschooling battle was David Beasley, who went on to become governor of South Carolina. And his wife, Mary Wood, was a friend. We just got to be friends through the whole legislative process. And so sometimes when she had multiple speaking engagements or a couple of times, she would ask me to take those for her. And the topic that I spoke on was father absence in the home. Um, and it required me to do a lot of research and become acquainted with a lot of things I would have really rather not known because it's painful. Yes. So that's why when you said you don't want to glamorize life for a single mom and you're describing it as a fatherless home, that is so powerful uh -huh. because it sends that message that fathers are necessary. That's right. That's exactly right. My husband often wears a T-shirt um, that says uh, fathers are essential. And yes. and I think, man, you know, especially in the wake yes. of the pandemic, when you start talking about essential workers and things like that and fathers oh, are oh, that's, essential. That's great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so so, you know, but the absence of my of my dad uh, really affected the way that I saw the family unit. And I didn't realize this until, of course, I was much older and I grew in my knowledge of God and, and the Holy Spirit just ministers to us. So we start to understand some of the ways that we thought. And um, I think what I was processing was the fatherlessness, but I didn't know that's what I was processing. So I saw a lot of stress on my mom. Yes. I saw a lot of overwhelm because she was trying to do everything. She was making all of the decisions. And there were five of us. And, you know... I decided in my mind that, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that many kids. And so in my mind, I thought, well, if I get married, if I get married, right. I would like to have one kid, maybe two kids, but that's it. Like, I don't want to have this big family. Well, fast forward many, many, many years later, and I'm married to my husband, and um, we start talking about, well, even in the process of going through premarital counseling, and he's saying, and now he is the older of two kids and his parents were married until his dad passed, um, died of cancer in 2009. So they were, they were like high school sweethearts. They got married. And so he was raised in this intact family um, where there was an eight year difference between him and his sister. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, and so when we got married, he was like, I want to have four kids at least. Like I want to, I would like to have like four kids. And I remember saying to him, Zan, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. Like, and I remember saying, let me help you because you don't know what you're saying. And my husband would say over and over again, Miki, children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. My thinking, yes, yes. But you could experience that blessing with like one or maybe two. Like you don't have to have like this huge family. Like just, you know. And so over time, the Lord really dealt with my heart and the Lord really convicted me because here's the thing, Zan, it's not, God is not concerned about the number of kids that we have. He is concerned about our heart because you could have a family that has like eight or even 10 children, but they still don't see children as a blessing. They just that, are yes, having children. That, yes, you, that's right. That's right. Exactly because here right. I was at the point that we had three children I was still struggling to understand the the reality that these children 
our blessings. So by the time we were expecting baby number four, I just thought, okay, I can't manage this. And and my mindset still was not children are a blessing and opening my arms to receive them. It's just that we were convicted that the Lord is sovereign over procreation, like the Lord yeah. is sovereign. And so I say that because I think so many moms, whether you have one kid or or 10 kids, the Lord is not telling us to have this number of kids, like X number of kids. The Lord and all of the things that we do, he wants us to believe that his word is true. And so if he says that children are a blessing, then we are to believe that. And that was the process. That was my journey. And so kid number four, I was overwhelmed. The Lord really ministered to me through my husband and through scripture that I did not have the biblical mindset that should be should be that of the Christians, right? But I was able to kind of hide behind having three kids and people would think, oh, well, obviously she believes that kids, children are a blessing, but really my heart was not there. I was having these kids, but my heart was not there. So by kid number four, I was thoroughly convicted. Um, I prayed, I repented of the sin in my heart that I disagreed with God's word, even in my heart, right? Right. And I asked the Lord after baby number four, I, I prayed and asked the Lord, for another opportunity to receive a child rightly. And I said, Lord, please grant me another opportunity to rejoice when I learn that we're expecting. Because with each of our kids, here's the funny thing. People say, well, did you guys plan that out? No, we didn't. They just, they just kept coming. Like we, you know, I, I, I have friends who are like, so we wanted to space our kids out and they did, you know, every couple of years we just, and I'm just like, what? No, we we when our first was 10 months old we learned that we were having another one and then when she was a year we learned we were having another one and so each time there was this sort of jolting factor and i didn't just rejoice that i was having these kids and so after baby number 4 is when i prayed and and repented and asked the lord um if he would be gracious to me to allow me to receive a child with joy and so we learned we were having baby number five. And that was an answer to prayer because I wanted to have another opportunity. And then um, just to make sure, <laughs> baby number six, <laughs> to have another opportunity. And um, and so, no, it wasn't a plan of ours to have six children, but the Lord has so abundantly blessed us that we, um, we counted a joy and a privilege to parent these children that we have. That That is an amazing story. So, Let's and you know I know that's going to minister to people's hearts because we want children to be a blessing and yet we find ourselves so stressed with daily life sometimes. Yes, and so absolutely. Just you know, is is just a matter of refreshing our mind, rebooting with scripture. I guess you know that's right. So that's that's a real powerful testimony, Mickey. So let's talk about when you and Will started homeschooling. Did you have any pushback? from your families about that? Or did people welcome your decision to homeschool? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of both, but not much of either. Um, our, I think our families kind of found that to be foreign. Um, there was not a history of that anywhere. Uh, more so on Will's family's side, his mom kind of questioned whether or not we could do that. You know, and and she said, I've been praying for my grandkids since before they were born. And one of the things that she said, and I, I understand what she meant and we understood, you know, um, she said, I want them to be smart. <laughs> right. 
right? Okay, yeah. So, okay, good. So she goes, okay. I want them so, to be... Yeah, I have go to ahead. say this real quick. So we're homeschooling <laughs> our kids, and they're doing yeah. great. And, you know, um, they each have their own areas of genius. And I remember one day my in-laws, who had not been excited that we were homeschooling, said, seeing your kids are doing so well. Just think how smart they'd be if they were in school. <laughs> so, oh, my... Okay, so you ex- you understand exactly what I'm saying here. Yes, that's that's exactly the position, right? Yeah. And so, so choosing to operate with a tremendous amount of grace, you know, we said, well, mom, we want them to be smart as well. Um, we also believe that it is a mission that we have to disciple them and to train them. And we believe that at home we can do both. We believe that we can both nurture their minds and their brains and all of that, but also nurture their spirit, that they would grow up to know Jesus. And that's the aim. In fact, that's the that's the foremost focus there. And so over the years, um, it's been quite a blessing to um, to have our moms comment on the intelligence of our kids and their ability to communicate. And and, you know, some of the compliments and it's not that we need these compliments to be validated, but they are an encouragement because as a homeschooling mom, and yes, you know they this, Anne, yes. you know, it's sometimes you you feel like, and I wish it weren't so, but mm-hmm. you almost feel like you have something to prove. Like you almost yes. feel like you've got to say, see, look at what I've done. And I work really hard to overcome that. In fact, I try to make sure to check my heart in certain conversations because there's a temptation to, to sort of, um, you know... I, I liken it to when a kid is learning an instrument, you want that kid to like show off, like, hey, come and play for so-and-so, you know, but as a yes, homeschooling yes, mom, you know, right. yes, you, you can't just yes. ask your kid to walk up and, and go ahead and multiply these fractions. <laughs> like you can't just, you know what I mean? So you'd start trying to find creative ways to show that you are doing the work, you know, yes. and I realized that even that is rooted in pride. And so I've tried to eradicate that in my life. Like I say, you know, Lord, why am I doing this? I, I was never doing this to prove anything to anyone. I was always doing this because I love you and I want my children to love you. And so if if the byproduct of that is that, you know, people think they're brilliant or people think they're smart, then so be it. But that's not my aim. And because that's not my aim, I don't have anything to prove. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was the one question that we got. Like, you know, it was kind of an not directly asked, but the question was basically, are you guys smart enough to do that? Like, can you, you know, can you do that? Which I think is really interesting. Like, let's pause for a second here just to think about what that question implies. So I have gone through an entire like um, K-12 public education, four years of public higher education. And now I'm not equipped to teach my children if that's true, then that means that all of my education is a failure, right? You know, like if if <laughs> that that is very true. So let me insert this, and you can tell me if this is an insulting question. This is just what we saw when we started homeschooling. So when Joe and I started homeschooling, we were really ostracized from mm. family members. We had kids, people who all of a sudden they wouldn't let their kids in our neighborhood play with our kids. Um, their kids wouldn't wouldn't let them play with our kids. We had people at church who wouldn't speak to us. And so we get a few years down the line and that's starting to change. And then (laughs) we have some African-American families who started homeschooling and they experienced 
10 years later what we had experienced. And the thought was, their parents said, we fought so hard during the civil rights movement to get a place at the table, and now you're rejecting it. They felt like it was a personal betrayal of their work that their their kids were homeschooling. So I didn't know if you would run into any of that or if I'm overstating it or... No, you're you're not overstating it at all, Zan. And in fact, I would say that's very perceptive of you to, to recognize that that happens in the Black culture. In Black culture, and I'm going to speak generally, of course, I can't speak for every Black American, but right. in Black right. American culture, generally speaking... Education is seen as the ticket out of poverty. It's seen yes. as tickets yes. out of like oppression. And, and so okay. it almost becomes the means by which a family will sort of um, superintend their own destinies. Like you are going to control your outcomes by being well educated. And so when you kind of strike at that by saying, I'm not going to take the currently traditional means because traditional education was home education but i'm not going to take what has become culturally normative i'm not going to take that pathway um to education i think it's very offensive generally speaking to especially i would say black academics like i i think that or i don't know i don't know how you there are certain people for whom it is true that um, education is the key, not even Jesus, not even the sovereignty of the Lord. That's right. So, And and I want to be very careful, but in some circles, education is an idol to be intelligent and to be smart and to be well thought of in culture must be the aim. We talk to so many families and, and because of what we do, there are families in various stages of life. And so there are families that are new parents, and then there are families that are empty nesters. And so sometimes you'll ask, so how are your children doing, right? And the lead-in is always with their success temporally. So the, the lead-in is always with, well, so-and-so works here, and they've just built a home, and oh, things are going so well. And usually, now this is not always the case, but usually I have to follow up and say, and what of their relationship with Christ? Are they faithful to the truth? How are they enduring in this culture? And, you know, it kind of creates a pause in the conversation. And you can tell that the parent hadn't really considered that as a weighty presentation. Like that wasn't important to describe the success or the health of the child. You know, George Barna, I know you're familiar with him. He's kind of the church statistician for the (laughs) 21st century. But he made a quote that really got to me. He said that parents, there's no longer anybody in our country who's taking the pulse of children's faith. And, you know, we've got to do that as Christian parents. We've got that's got to be primary, just like you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I that is such a passion of ours, um, Zan. Like we we really feel that the Lord has thoroughly convicted us and called us to challenge the body of Christ in 21st century America to get back to the basics, which includes passing down our faith to our children. This has always been in God's 
and I don't want to use the word expectation, but let me, uh, I'll use a stronger word. This has always been God's command to his people that they would teach their children and there would be an outflow from the children. It's amazing from Old Testament to New Testament, you can clearly see the expectation or the expected obedient outcome that parents would pass down the knowledge of who God is to their children. And unfortunately, we have farmed that out. And I'm going to tell you, I really believe that farming out um, education led to farming out theological instruction and doctrinal instruction because it just became culturally normative that parents can't teach their kids. Right. You can't That's educate right. them reading, writing, and arithmetic. So, of course, you can't teach them theology. Of course, you can't teach them doctrine. And you will not find that anywhere in Scripture. That That's exactly right. We've forgotten that God has a scope and sequence chart in the Bible. That's right. And, and that is the first two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And, you know, and if we're not, if that's not part of our scope and sequence chart and faith isn't something we're nurturing in our homes and keeping a pulse on, then, you know, we need to reconsider as Christians what we're doing. Oh, I agree 100%. So, um, so I want, uh, there were a couple of quotes I found on your Facebook page that I love. It's like our hearts are beating together. One is um, something from the P, the Pew Research saying that parents are no longer passing down their religious convictions or passing down their faith. This is a real problem. That's what we were just talking about. There was another one um, where you talk about as you look back on your education in America as I stand now, I would say that I was in many ways my education to, was hostile to God because it begins with the belief and the conviction that he's irrelevant. He has no place here. So, all right, so I, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I want to read you one of my favorite quotes that I came across. And then sure. I want to talk about this whole generational demise of education in terms of faith and practice. Um, and this is from Harvard Rules and Precept, eight, uh, 1646. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. It's like if we wanted a statement of our hey. heritage in this Life. country, that's it. I mean, the, Christianity and education were married. They were enemies of each other. Science and Christianity were enemies of each other. I mean, it was just a very nice marriage. And um, we've seen those things divorce throughout the following centuries. And, um, and, and to the point where you say you feel like your education was hostile because God was irrelevant. So mm -hmm. just just speak to that for a minute. Yeah. Nikki. Yeah, I think I was indirectly taught that the core of who I am and what makes me who I am has nothing to do with the knowledge of God or the work of God in my life. And even though when I'm in school in the 80s and the 90s, it is not as overtly secular as it is today. It was still secular. It was still, um, you know, evolution was taught. And I often say, you know, and I, this is a joke, but, but it's true. I am so glad 
that I was not sharp enough to understand that what I was being taught contradicted what I was being taught on Sundays. Like what I was being taught Definitely. Monday through Friday contradicted what I was being taught on Sundays. And so it's amazing. I look back on that and I go, wow, Lord. So you blessed me with a little bit of dullness there because that could have really shipwrecked my faith. If I had seen, right. and because <laughs> think about it, Zayn, what we're doing is we are putting kids in school five days a week, um, K-12, and in a public education system, we are saying that everything that we teach them on Sunday and maybe Wednesday, if we're faithful, right? Everything that we teach them on these two days, we are saying that is not true for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life, we're saying, now look, we, we teach you this on Sunday. And so then the question becomes, so what has a louder voice? Is it the five days, seven to eight hours a day? Is it that time period or is it the, you know, two, three, maybe four hours that we spend one night a week and then on Sunday? And our culture has told us the answer. Now, this is not something that we have to guess at. If you look at where we are, our culture has told us that the two days a week cannot compete against the five. And our culture has told us that because in the primary ways that kids are educated in this country, because God is rejected, because God is irrelevant, then everything else flows out from there. So often, you know, we'll hear from um, from some of our listeners and, and they will say things like, um, you know, what what are we going to do about our politicians? Like they're like, I just how are we going to get these people? They make these promises, they get out there and then they they write these laws or they pass this legislation. Like, what are we going to do? And, and I go, well, there are some steps that we can take to be involved civically like we need to do our duties this is a stewardship issue right we feel very strongly Nothing. about that but then i very quickly like to circle back to this question before these politicians were on capitol hill or before they were you know having a seat at our state legislatures um whose table did they sit at where were they before they sat on capitol hill well they sat at their mom's and dad's tables so in other words, what I'm saying is that what happens in our homes is far more important than what happens in the houses all across this country. But we miss that because we have relegated sort of the discipleship of children to like fables and just, you know, um, coloring sheets. We don't realize that these children that we shape today will shape legislation or policy tomorrow. And unfortunately, we can see the effects of that in our country. Amen. Well, Miki, that is a strong note and a strong sermon for us to close on. And it's a lot for us to think about. And, you know, if we I just want to take a minute and thank the sponsor of this podcast, BJU Press Homeschool, for a curriculum that is biblically worldview centric, <clears throat> founded on scripture, woven by scripture, shaped by scripture. So that as our kids are learning, they're reading things that show the relevance of God in history and the relevance mm. of God in science and the relevance of, relevance of God in Spanish and math. Because Amen. it's like you say, when we treat God as, as neutral, like he's not there in history and science and sociology. And so so kids, if they fight, what reason do they have not to fight? I mean, uh -huh. it's it, when it's, it's hostile. It's hostile to the gospel. But neutrality 
<clears throat> is so much more pleasant than the hostility that we think we forget. We forget that when we're neutral, uh, God says either we're for us, for him or we're against him. That's right. And, um, and so I really, I really appreciate your heart on these things. And I just want to thank you so much for your ministry. Before we close, tell us where everybody can find you and Will the Great. Oh, thank you so much <laughs> for that. So we do host a national radio program um, weekdays, 2 to 3 Central Time. Um, you can go to AFR, that's American Family Radio, AFR.net. Um, as far as the social media networks, um, I think we're on all of those, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. If you look for airing the Addisons, that's the name of our program. Um, and we deal with matters that impact the church and the family in 21st century America. The aim is just to equip everyday Christians to make the connection between faithful living and living in the time that we're in. We can't live in the past. We're not going to raise our kids in the 80s or the 90s. So we've yeah. got to raise them right now in 21st century America. And I hope that as we look at some of the topics that are out there and discuss those things through a biblical lens, that it encourages parents to do the same. Well, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate yours and Will's ministry and how wonderful it was to meet you last year and finally connect with you. Yes. Um, it's been it's been a blessing to get to know you through your Facebook page and through listening to some of your podcasts. And we'll Thank be you. together in Greenville next week. Yes, and we will. be a lot of fun. So we can't wait to see you there. And Thank you again so much, Mickey. You're such a blessing. And we're continuing to pray for you and Will and those six beautiful kids of yours. So thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you too, Zan. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this was encouraging and inspiring for you. If you would like more information, you can find me at zantyler.com. Until next time, see you later. Bye.